You're listening to Movie Fighters on the Greenlit Podcast Network. Go to greenlitpodcast.com to learn more. the bell sucker this is movie fighters the show where chris sims and i matt wilson we watch movies and we beat them up chris are you ready for our movie this month which hopefully will be a balm to soothe us from our movie last month scoob which we did not like we did not like scoob in fact i was just thinking about it and i was like boy here comes scoob here comes Scoob. Good old Scoob. How I hated it. <laughs> yep. That's not the good bit, by the way. I told I told Matt that I had a good bit before we started recording. That's not the good bit. The good bit is still coming. That is a good bit, though. It is a I good like bit. It. We're watching Peanuts. We are. We're watching Peanuts. And we actually got recommended to watch this movie by a couple of different listeners who heard our dismay. Our discontent over Scoob and wanted us to be soothed, wanted us to to see something we would enjoy. And okay, thus, so, th- so this was this was recommended because people think it's good. This was recommended because people not not only think it's good, but also think we will like it. Okay. Because if you listen to our other show, or Rocket Ajax you may have heard us talk about uh, Peanuts cartoons, various Peanuts strips, and how much we enjoy those. We're big fans of the Charles Schultz comic strip. We have ranked a number of strips quite highly on our Every Story Ever list. And I think we've come around to like realizing just how good Peanuts actually is as a, a comic strip. So we've gotten a few recommendations from listeners. I don't have all of them, but I do have one in front of me uh, from Eric R. Wilson. No relation. That's your name. It is my last name. Uh, Eric says, I'm watching the Peanuts movie on Disney+. Plus. Maybe you guys should give this one a shot for movie fighters to get the scoob taste out of your mouths. It's practically the anti-scoob in its timelessness and sincerity. See, that's really interesting, because I don't remember hearing anything about this movie when it came out. I remember it coming out and, like, kind of disappearing. I I remember my friends with kids took their kids to see it. But I I didn't hear, like, buzz about the Peanuts movie around, around my circles. Yeah. Which is weird, again, considering how much you and I like Peanuts as a, as a concept, really. Uh, but the only thing I remember hearing was that, like, people talking about how the designs didn't 
necessarily translate well into into the third dimension, which is how movies are made now. Yeah, this this is in a 3D form of animation. I remember when this movie came out, in in my cynicism, you know me, the classic cynic. It's true. I regarded this 100% as a cash-in. Like, oh, they know that people know Peanuts, like people who are parents now, like they remember the Peanuts strip and the cartoons, and they're just trying to get them to take their kids to see this movie. Charles Schultz is dead. They're, you know, they're, this is kind of like using his property after his death to just to make, make money. Mm -hmm. And nothing I saw of the promotion for this movie really disabused me of that notion. But I'm more than happy to be convinced that I'm wrong on that. (laughs) Cause I would love for this movie to be good. Oh, I would, Matt, I would love it. But I gotta say, like, this, look, this is still movie fighters. Certainly. And and the reason we have that title is because we watch movies, usually bad movies, and we beat them up. Yep. That's what we do. That's our whole gimmick. And while I'm looking forward to, to seeing this, if it's good, because that was going to be my main question, I'm also ready, Matt... Matt, I'm ready to bust these nuts. <laughs> <laughs> That's the good bit, I assume. That was the good bit, yeah. Ah, oh, very good, very good. So, a few bits of background about this movie before we get into it. First of all, if you look this movie up on Wikipedia, you will discover that uh, there are two other films called Peanuts. Both Japanese. One is a Japanese, like, noir crime movie. Well, it's an action comedy. Directed by Takashi Miike. The more I find Uh, out about 1996's Peanuts, the the more I want to watch it instead. uh, Yeah. Takashi, does any filmmaker have a weirder catalog than Takashi Miike, who did, like, Ichi the Killer, and then also did The Phoenix Wright? Ace Attorney movie. Did Takashi Miike direct Audition? I don't know. Is that a Takashi Miike film? Yes. What a weird filmography. <laughs> you can't you can't pin that dude down. Audition is one of the hardest movies I've ever watched. The hardest, like hardest to watch. It's good. Also, extraordinarily hard to watch. Uh, then there's a 2006 Japanese movie called Peanuts, which is about baseball. Is it the sack? I, I wish. I wish it was like about Charlie Brown baseball, but no, it's not. Nobody gets hit with like a line drive that like knocks their shoes and socks off and like makes them flip over in the air. If I discovered that that movie had that in it, I would watch it right this second. I hope that gag is in this movie, uh, the Peanuts movie, which is known in some countries as Snoopy and Charlie Brown a Peanuts movie, because I think. Outside of the United States, the brand is Charlie Brown. Or perhaps Snoopy and Charlie Brown. Yeah. Which, A, weird that Snoopy gets top billing. Uh, B, 
Charles Schultz never wanted to call it Peanuts. He didn't. Yeah, that Origi- was an editorial suggestion. Original title, Little Folks. Also, I will say, though, I can't imagine us talking about the Little Folks Christmas special. True. Although, those things were never called, those animated specials were never called Peanuts. They were called no. whatever Charlie Brown. Yeah. So why why wouldn't, why didn't they just, anyway, that's not a question we're going to solve. Because they think kids love Snoopy. The the poster no, for this originally why wouldn't they just call it Charlie Brown? Oh, I don't know, but uh, the poster for this movie is notably Snoopy and his Red Baron get up with the scarf, standing in front of Charlie Brown, like up literally upstaging Charlie Brown, which is a good gag. That's a good gag. It's, I'm pretty stoked about the potential of getting some like full on Red Baron. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, that be wild. stuff in this. Other. Interesting bits of information about this movie. Um, despite us not hearing too much about it, it grossed $246 million at the box office and was the seventh highest grossing animated film of 2015. Wow, okay. So it didn't do poorly. It, in fact, this did quite 2015? well. 2015? 2015. Wow, it doesn't feel like it was that long ago that this came out, either. Also, here is why it is available on Disney+. Plus. This movie was released by Blue Sky Studios, which is not a studio I know much about. Uh, But it was, I guess it was under the 20th Century Fox banner uh, because it became available on Disney Plus because of Disney's acquisition of 20th Century Fox in 2019. Okay. So it was not released as a Disney film, but now it is owned by Disney, which also owns everything else. Yeah. Do you think Spider-Man's going to show up? I can only hope. Kylo Ren. The movie is directed by Steve Martino, who uh, is, across the board, an animation director who has uh, two features under his belt. Well, this is his third feature. Uh, His first directing feature was Horton Hears a Who?, which I think was probably fine. I never saw it. I never saw it either. And then uh, his next movie was Ice Age Continental Drift. So yeah, that's the one where that's the one where where Scrat goes to Tokyo, and he's got to learn that if you're not out of control, you're not in control. That's right. That's right. It really took the series in a different direction. You learned after the fact that it was a prequel. Yeah. <laughs> We have fun here on the show. We do have fun. This movie, I remember this movie being promoted as being from the creators of Ice Age and Rio, which was another thing that made me think it was a cash-in. Like, okay. I don't guess I have anything too deeply against Ice Age, but I don't think of them as like the highest quality animated films. I've never seen them. Maybe we're wrong about that. Maybe we're wrong about Ice Age. Maybe they're great. Maybe but people I, are, are going to email us and they're going to be like, guys, that is that is Ray Romano's tour de force, bravura well, performance. That's part of it, right? Because those movies have like full-on celebrity casts, which are always, to me, a sign of like cash-in animated movies. I mean, yeah, but like also like so does Toy Story. 
so Toy Story's cast, it has Tom Hanks and Tim Allen. But everybody after that, for the most part, is a voice actor or a character you're, actor. You're telling me you're telling me that there's no like 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 Wallace Shawn is not a draw, Matt. For children, absolutely not. I I do not believe that people are are jumping on board for Tony Hale as Forky. Cliff from Cheers? They're not jumping on from Cl- for Cliff from Cheers. Like, look, Pixar hires celebrities to do stuff, but they hire celebrities who are the best voices for their characters, and not just for star power. Okay, that's, that's like, fair. Craig T. Nelson is not drawing kids to The Incredibles. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're, they're not uh, jumping on for Sarah Vowell. Oh, in the Incredibles, she wasn't in Toy Story, was she? She was in Incredibles. I, Craig T. Nelson and Sarah Vowell are both Incredibles. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, I, you know what I'm saying? So, like, I, gotcha. I, I view Ice Age as a different kind of thing, where they are definitely hiring, or like, like trolls. They got like Justin Timberlake for trolls. You know, I was convinced you were going to say Justin McElroy. Who they also got for Trolls 2. <laughs> oh yeah, they had that whole thing about wanting to be in Trolls 2. Are they in Trolls 2? They're not in Trolls 2. They, no, they are in Trolls 2. Are they? Yeah, they, it, they succeeded. And then like and then like Trolls 2, I think, was in theaters for like a week before the pandemic hit. Trolls World Tour. Yes, Trolls World Tour. Well, that makes me interested to see Trolls World Tour now. So... Yeah. If DreamWorks is getting in the, the podcast voice actor game, I've recently I've got some voice acting under my belt now. Yeah. Uh, hit us up about Trolls 3. We we gotta do our podcast about wanting to be in Trolls 3. We can't let this McElroy's one up us on this. Yeah, because we're that's who we're in direct competition with. That's right, yeah. <laughs> People who are much, much, much more popular than us. Yes. So here's what here's one hopeful bit about the Peanuts movie, though, Chris, it does not have a cast full of celebrities. In fact, so we talked about how Scoob recast everybody. Mm-hmm. The Peanuts movie brings back Bill Melendez recordings for Snoopy and Woodstock. Really? Really. Now, now how do you feel about that? Because I know that, like... Sometimes stuff like that can come off as ghoulish. It's not, though, it's not recreating a CGI Bill Melendez to be Grand Moff Tarkin. You know, it's, this is recordings of him being Snoopy and Woodstock. I I don't have a problem with it. If it, if it makes them sound like Snoopy and Woodstock, I'm fine with it. It's not the ghoulish thing of like a a uncanny valley Carrie Fisher, you know, mm-hmm. which I did find pretty ghoulish. You think this is more like a like uh, like how Major Barrett did like recorded basically like all the Siri noises so that she could be the Star Trek computer forever? Yeah, exactly, exactly. The only somewhat famous person in the cast that I can identify is Kristen Chenoweth. 
who plays Fifi, Snoopy's love interest. That's okay. That's going to be weird because because she's going to talk then. No, she speaks according to Wikipedia in a series of conversational like sounds. That sounds wild. I'm excited about it. Yeah. Uh, there's also... Or that could just be being very rude to Christian Chenoweth. Alright, here's some other interesting, uh, perhaps exciting casting things. As you may know, if you are familiar with the Peanuts, Charlie Brown cartoons of the 60s, 70s, and 80s, they ca- they always cast real children to do those voices. <laughs> if If you heard Charlie Brown talking, that was a child. Yeah. That's why Charlie Brown... Didn't have a consistent voice. Yeah, which is why those those things come off as so like sincere and authentic, even though it's it's children who are like reading from a script. Yeah, like Linus doing the speech in the Christmas special is great because he sounds like a kid. Like that speech is good. It's better because it's an actual child saying it. Yeah, for sure. They did that for this, too. All these voices of all these children are children. And here's a wild one, Chris. Here is a wild one. Violet is voiced by Madison Shipman, who is from Kings Mountain, North Carolina. Interesting. Kings Mountain, the town right over from the town I grew up in, Shelby. Yeah. King, Kings Mountain, that's that's a border town. That's a border town. That's 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 kind of both Carolinas. Home of the, the famous battlefield. Yeah. Also, the teacher the teacher voices the the sounds that the teachers make or mm-hmm. that the adults make, they are made by uh Troy Trombone Shorty Andrews. <laughs> Trombone Shorty? Trombone Shorty. Who Trombone I've seen perform. I love Trombone Shorty. He's great. That's going to be great. Exciting. Interesting choices that seem authentic and genuine that I'm discovering right now make me more excited to see this movie than I certainly was when it came out. Yeah. I Sidebar. Is the teachers, the teacher voices being the trombones, is that the smartest choice anything has ever made. It certainly makes all those moments in the animated specials un- unequivocally memorable. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's yeah. brilliant. Anything else we want to mention before we, we get into watching this movie? No man, I think that's I think that's about it. All right, uh, mostly well received critically, as far as I can tell. Uh, maybe a few. So here's the worst one under the critical response section. Uh, Scott Mendelson at Forbes said there was quote nothing objectively wrong with the movie, but uh, he was not a fan of the Peanuts comic strip. And he didn't like how Charlie Brown fails in the film, which to me says this what movie the, is true to the comic strip. Yeah, that's the wildest take 
I have ever heard in my life. Yeah, it's like, oh, I don't like the comic strip, so I don't like the movie. Yeah, I don't like how Charlie Brown fails. I don't like how Charlie Brown is like the Charlie Brown from the source material. Yeah, how I hate him. (laughs) How I hate him. Yeah, he's that kid. He's that kid from the first strip. Scott, that's Scott Mendelson. Buddy, buddy, if you like, look, it's it's it does does he not have like does he not understand like empathy? Like I don't mean to be rude, but like that's the bit, right? <laughs> like like yeah. we feel for Charlie Brown. I only like comic strips where the characters succeed. <laughs> they must succeed in everything they do. Thus, I only like Garfield. <laughs> I mean, look. Maybe, maybe we'll watch it and we'll be like, "Actually, yeah, this was a little too hard. This is a little too, a little too rough." Yeah, Charlie Brown took it too hard in this one. We're gonna watch the Peanuts movie, but Chris, before we do that, it is time for the hottest segment in all of podcasting. That's right, it's time for snack situation. Chris, what are you snacking on for the Peanuts movie? Well, Matt, it's uh it's one thirty p.m. right now. It's the lunchtime hour. Uh-huh. Yes, it is. It is roughly the time for lunch. But I'm not having lunch. I am having something that I think eating it before noon would be like maybe a warning sign. Uh, and that is that I have one of my favorite sweet treats. That's right. It's the Haribo Star Mix. Oh, okay. I got all sorts of gummies in here, and Matt, I am curious to know of of the Star Mix of the the, the common gummies. I know you got a favorite. I know you got a favorite. I don't know exactly which items are in the star mix. Okay. Uh, do you want me to run them down for you? Yeah, run them down for me. All right. We got the classic Haribo Bears. Of course. Classic. Uh, we got gummy worms. Yep. We got the cherries, the big cherries. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got the little uh, rings, right? Okay. And we have the cola bottles. But those are gummy. They're not the wax cola bottles. No, the the, the gummy cola bottles. The gummy cola yeah, bottles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my preference has always been toward gummy worms. Interesting. I would not have picked that for you. Specifically the like sour ones. The ones with like the sour like the citric acid powder on them. Is that what that is? I've never known what that actually is. It is the stuff that makes candy sour almost always is just like powdery citric acid. Huh. I that's the stuff I like. Um because I'm a big sour candy guy. I mean I'm not You're a now. Big sour candy guy. I'm a big sour candy guy. Matt's a candy guy who's big and sour. <laughs> and no lies found. No lies detected. Uh what is your favorite piece of the mix? Cola bottles, baby. Cola bottles. Easy. Easy peasy. Uh, unfortunately, they're also my wife's favorite, so like, oh. we, we, it's, we do a very nice thing it, where we save them for each other. It's, it's not a Chex Mix situation. Absolutely not. No. Uh, so, And, and you, you know, I don't know if you do this, but I eat things in order from uh, least liked to most liked. You're one of those. I, I yeah. get it. Yeah. So I'm going to be saving these cola bottles for when we're well into... Uh, peanuts. I also do that. I, I yeah. save the stuff I really like uh, for the for the end, typically. Yeah. Uh, Matt, what are you snacking on today? 
Well, Chris, you know how I'm a little twisted. Uh, <laughs> you know how I like to be just like a little off center. You know how I like to to do things that are just not quite conventional. Whenever I describe you to another person, whenever anybody says, hey, look, like, what's Matt like? I'm like, well, he's kind of like Deadpool meets the Joker. <laughs> you might say I've got issues. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Matt, and you know what? And those people, sometimes they laugh at you because you're different. Yeah. But you and me, we laugh at them. That's right. They're all the same. Well, since we were watching the Peanuts movie, I just thought it would be so twisted and funny uh, to eat some almonds, so I have almonds. (laughs) (laughs) That actually is very funny. (laughs) Uh, I also have uh, a McDonald's Coke because, as you mentioned, it is the lunching time, and I ate lunch just before this. And every once in a while, it's, it's hard to set your watch to it. It's usually once every... Roughly quarterly, I would say, uh, on a Sunday specifically, and we're recording this on Sunday. Uh, my wife Marlene decides she, she's got to have a Big Mac. She's got to have a Big Mac. Boy, I so, could go for that Fountain Coke, the best Coke. Yeah, best Coke. So I did that today. I went through the McDonald's drive-through, masked, obviously. Mm-hmm. Got her a Big Mac. Got myself some uh, chicken McNugs. Because, look, every once in a while, I want some chicken McNugs. Yeah, and, I'm uh, some right now. And I got one of those one of those good McDonald's fountain Cokes. So I'm going to be having some habanero barbecue almonds and a, uh, a McDonald's Coke as we watch Peanuts. You can watch along with us on Disney+. Plus. It is available there because Disney bought Blue Sky Studios and owns everything. Whether you watch along with us or not, uh, you're going to hear a musical interlude and some promotional spots for other shows here on the Greenlit Podcast Network. And then, after that, we're going to come back and talk about the Peanuts movie. Let's do it! Rank and Vile is a podcast dedicated to ranking every horror movie ever made from best to worst. Every single one of them. Each episode, we add a couple more to our list of hundreds and then justify why we think Killer Clowns from Outer Space is a better movie than Dead Ringers. It, it, no, really, that, that did actually end up happening. Check us out on the Greenlit Podcast Network, where you can find a new episode every Wednesday. Fans of video games, history, or video game history will definitely want to listen to Retronauts. Each week, Bob Mackey and myself, that's Jeremy Parrish, dive into the stories behind the greatest games of the past and the history behind the hits of today. Check us out every Monday on the Greenlit Podcast Network. And we are back from watching the Peanuts movie. A very enjoyable film. Matt, I think that is the exact word for it. It is enjoyable. Enjoyable. One thing we did not note when we uh, talked about some of the people behind this film, uh, we talked about the director, Steve Martino. We did not talk talk about the writers of the screenplay, two of whom, as far as I could tell, are relatives of Charles Schultz. I would 
think that they may in fact be his oh they're his son and grandson Craig and Brian Schulz uh and there's one other screenwriter Cornelius Uliano um if i had noticed that the screenwriters were Charles Schulz's son and grandson i would have been even more up on what this movie could have ended up being uh, they are also producers on the movie, along with uh, Paul Feig. You may as a, know as a director of many comedies, including Bridesmaids. Yeah. So, uh, that's all good stuff. The plot of this movie, fairly slight. And I feel like that is very much on purpose. Yeah, it's it's less of a... It's honestly less of a like movie with a plot. <laughs> Uh, and more of like a series of like connected shorter moments, which I think is you know a on purpose and b also like very appropriate given what it is. Yeah, it's it's episodic. I think in a lot of ways there there is an a plot and a b plot. In fact, um, the a plot involves Charlie Brown meeting the little red haired girl who meet, who moves to the town. Uh, moves to his neighborhood. She starts in the school. He wants to impress her. He does a lot of different things to try to impress her. He, by his account, fails in doing those things. But then, by the time he finally gets the courage up to talk to her, she lets him know that she didn't see any of those things as failures. That is the entire plot of the A plot of the movie. <laughs> the B plot of the movie is Snoopy writing the book about the World War One flying ace. And the Red Baron, which we had said before we started, we would be, you know, really surprised if there was Red Baron in this movie. In fact, it is the entire B-plot of the movie. There's a yeah. imagined B-plot about Snoopy saving his love interest, Fifi, from the clutches of the Red Baron. Yeah, and it's like full, complete Red Baron like flying around on the on the top of the doghouse and everything. Yep. Which which I am I am here for it. Part, part of me thinks that it is there was a maybe a note from the production company like oh we got to have an action sequence in this. <laughs> like modern animated movies have to have action sequences. So why don't you do one with uh, the Red Baron and the World War 1 flying ace? And like have him save a a, a, a girl dog, <laughs> and so that's what it is. But it is pretty pretty peanuts. I would say the 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 studio pressure on this movie seems to be fairly limited. It's I would say it's like ninety to ninety five percent peanuts. Like it does a yeah. pretty good job across the board. It really does. I think the the best thing that we can say about it is that most of it feels like peanuts. Yes, in, in a way that is both like uh, it, it feels both like the comic strip and also like the the classic animated peanut shorts. Yeah, I have one particular high point that has to do with the classic animated peanuts. Like it's astonishing. It is an astonishing thing that we'll get to. Mm-hmm. Um, the movie does have a few other through lines, though. For example, it starts with uh, Charlie Brown 
failing to fly a kite. So it's wintertime. The movie begins at wintertime. It is roughly Christmas time. Even though I hesitate to call this a Christmas movie. There's just some Christmassy stuff around it. There is Christmassy stuff. In it. It's like a Shane Black movie. And that seems like a weird thing to say about Peanuts. But it's true. Because it is Christmassy and that Christmas is a backdrop for some things. It's a backdrop for, I would say, about two-thirds of the movie. And then it jumps ahead to the end of the school year for the last third, the last act or so. But it starts at wintertime, and Charlie Brown is trying to fly a kite. And he thinks because it is wintertime, it will make it easier for him to fly a kite and it not be absorbed by the kite-eating tree. Uh, that does not happen. That does not work out. <laughs> His kite does go into the tree, and he creates a lot of uh, chaos and destruction in the act of flying the kite. Later in the movie, he is asked by a smaller child to help him fly a kite. And he actually instructs the other kid correctly on how to fly a kite. But then as soon as Charlie Brown tries to do it, he fails and the kite goes flying off (laughs) into the distance. Then at the end of the movie, he flies a kite one more time. He happens to be bestowed with a kite after he prays to God for help. (laughs) Yeah, he he does in fact do that. He uh, a, a kite falls out of the kite, kite flying tree, and uh, essentially helps him get to the little red haired girl at the very end. So kite flying is a big through line throughout the movie. There's also a baseball scene, but it's not a baseball scene like we tend to know from the comic strip. It takes place in the winter time at the start of the movie, where Charlie Brown is just like, "I'm going to get in some practice on my pitching." to get ready for baseball season. And it's really more than anything, just an excuse to have the baseball get hit back at Charlie Brown. And then all his clothes fly off. Yeah. Which again, like I, I was kind of not expecting, even though it's, it's the thing, you know? Yeah. It's, I thought there might be more of a classic baseball scene, but this was just kind of like a, all right, here's your baseball thing, but it's happening in the winter time. And Snoopy does it. Snoopy yeah. is responsible for it this time. <laughs> yeah. But this does, the movie does kind of have elements of a lot of the stuff we talked about. Like there's a full Red Baron thing. There's a piece of the plot that's kind of like the sack, uh, which if you don't recall, that's the story where Charlie goes off to camp and uh, I just called him Charlie, which is weird. It is so weird to refer to him as Charlie and not Charlie Brown. Yeah. You, you have to say the full name. It's, yeah, I got required. A tiny bit upsetting. Anyway, uh, the the sack. Charlie Brown goes off to camp and uh, ends up wearing a sack over his head because he's embarrassed. Uh, but then he is actually pretty decent at uh, baseball, and nobody knows it's him. And everybody's like, "Oh yeah, the sack. The sack is cool. I love that guy." There, there, well, there, there's a sequence where he doesn't wear a sack over his head. But there is a sequence where people think he's something that he's not, or they respect him in a way they don't normally do. Yeah. 
Uh, it is one of the episodic sequences where he's trying to impress the little red-haired girl. And let's take those in order. So first, he attempts to learn to dance well. So he meets the little red-haired girl in class. He wants to do something to impress her. Snoopy shows up with like a dance. He's got all this stuff in his doghouse. And one of them is like a dance steps guide. And he teaches Charlie Brown how to dance well. So there's a whole like instruction sequence. He he doesn't ever get to show off his dance skills because at the dance he sets off the sprinkler system and the dance gets called off. <laughs> and there's a pretty funny bit where Pigpen uh gets doused with the water from the sprinkler system and he's not always he's not he doesn't have a cloud of dirt around him for a second and this other girl doesn't recognize him because of it yeah that's a good bit and in fact like i would say most of the movie's like strongest points are those little like quick gags uh that that happen like the punchline of a three or four panel comic strip they're mostly, uh, yeah, character-based also. I missed one that was before that. Before that, Charlie Brown tries to do a magic show at the talent show. He tries to perform magic at the talent show. The way you said that just now, not to, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, but the way you said that just now was just like Jay-Z. Uh, in, in, when he says, I got the Rap Patrol on the Gap Patrol. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I do the magic the show magic at the talent show. At show. The talent show. Yeah. Folks that want to make sure my casket's closed. Well, I'm nothing if not like Jay-Z. Yeah, that's that's true. That also gets interrupted. He doesn't get to do his magic, which apparently he's very good at doing. He He demonstrates a little bit in front of some other kids, and they are wowed by it. But he doesn't get to do it because Sally goes on right before him. And she's doing like a, a like a cowgirl lasso act. She's like showing off her lassoing skills, and none of the other kids like it. They're not into it. They're not enjoying it. And Charlie Brown decides that instead of helping his performance, he'll save hers. And so he comes out dressed like a cow, and lets Sally rope him as a cow, and. uh Sally's act then is a great success because of that. Yeah. Which is good. Cause I have always wondered what Charlie Brown's persona would be. Well, cow it is. Cow it is. There's also a scene where Charlie Brown goes to see Lucy at her psychiatry booth. Uh, you know, the psychiatrist is in five cents mm-hmm. and she tells him that he is, a loser and that to be better he's got to think positively <laughs> and he's got he's got he's got to think about success so she gives him a book about ways to be successful and he takes it home and and reads it and gets a bunch of tips about like having good posture and and uh forgetting everything he knows about himself and stuff like that which that book doesn't really end up coming back in any demonstrable way no. There's also a scene here where all the kids take a standardized test, uh, the annual standardized test. And 
Charlie Brown and Peppermint Patty end up getting their tests in at the same time. And they both forget to sign their names to it. They sign their names to the wrong tests. That will become important in a bit. Another thing Charlie Brown tries to do is uh, have do a, like a really, really excellent book report because he gets the little red-haired girl as his partner for the book report. So he goes to try to find Marcy because he knows Marcy's read a bunch of books and ask her what book he should read. Instead, he finds Peppermint Patty practicing hockey out on the frozen lake. And Peppermint Patty vaguely remembers Marcy mentioning War and Peace by Leo Tolstoy and tells Charlie Brown that he should go read Leo's Toy Store by uh, like Warren Peaceman or something like that. Yeah, it's, it's Leo's Toy Store, which is a very good gag. So Charlie Brown goes to the library looking for Leo's Toy Store and cannot find this book. Eventually, he runs into Marcy who tells him the book he is looking for is War and Peace. Uh, so he takes War and Peace home, and it's such a big book that he has to ride it on his sled all the way home, which is a nearly disastrous process. He does manage to read the entire book, War and Peace, over the weekend, and he writes a 1,000-word essay about it. He gets to school with the essay. Linus compliments it for him for it. He's about to show it to the little red-haired girl, about to talk about how you know they have this report ready, and he falls, trips, the papers of the report go flying into the air, and the little toy Red Baron plane that's been flying around through the whole movie flies by and chops it into pieces, uh, ruining that particular effort of Charlie Brown's. Which we assume is where that critic left the theater. Yes, he could not I stand. I cannot take any more of those. I can't take it anymore. Uh, there's also a bit where Charlie Brown is wrongly given credit for having a perfect score on the standardized test. And the school is going to have like a big assembly on his behalf. Sally funnily starts selling Charlie Brown merchandise. That it, it, that part's great. Sally with her little flag giving tours of the Brown household is extremely funny. And this is the part where everybody starts to treat Charlie Brown differently because they think he is the smartest kid in the school. He's the only person to ever get a perfect score. They're like following him around, doing everything he does, thinking that all of his mishaps and mistakes are actually brilliant like there's one part where he just like they're making sculptures out of like wire and he sticks his finger into the wire and pulls it out and it makes a shape that is very similar to the shape of the one hair in the middle <laughs> of his head and everybody thinks it is a brilliant modern art piece uh kind of an interesting commentary about like if you perceive someone to be smart and brilliant uh, how anything they do will be called smart and brilliant. Mm -hmm. uh, Sally also, in addition to giving tours of the house, makes like balloons in the shape of Charlie Brown's head. She's selling shirts and dresses in the design of his shirt. Uh, she has like she has a bunch of other merchandise too. It's all very good. Um, and she's like at the assembly selling it, but. Charlie Brown realizes when he is given the test 
back that it was not his test, that it was Peppermint Patties. So he has to go on stage and say, actually, I did not do this test. Peppermint Patty did. And is shown up as the fraud that he is. Yeah. And everyone, everybody goes back to hating Charlie Brown. They just, they just hate him so much, man. They just hate him. But he does, at, later in the movie, when he's at his lowest point, when he thinks there's nowhere else he can go, he uh, is told by Linus that the best thing he could do, the thing he should have done from the start, is just go talk to the little red-haired girl and tell her how he feels about her before she leaves for summer camp because she's almost on her way to summer camp. So Charlie Brown goes over to her house. He rings the doorbell. Her mother comes out and says, well, she's getting on the bus right now. Well, actually, she says, (laughs) yeah, and Charlie Brown is like, what? She's getting on the bus right now. So he has to run, take off, go try to catch the bus. This is where the he prays to God, and a kite falls out of a tree. And he goes and and gets to her just before she leaves, tells her how he feels. And she says, I don't think you're a failure at all, Charlie Brown. I think everything you did showed me who you are. You helped your little sister. You went out of your way to do that book report for us when I was out of town. You learned how to dance and and taught yourself th- this stuff you you were honest at the assembly about your test uh you you did everything just right and all the kids are so moved by her words that they say good old charlie brown and they lift him up on their shoulders chris what high points do we have for the peanuts movie the thing that I had the most reservations about going in uh, was the the character design, right? And, and whether it would translate. Uh, generally speaking, I think they actually did a really good job. And the way they did it was by making all the faces and expressions like flat 2D animation on these 3D characters. That's actually really good. That's smart. Yeah, because uh, everything looks like it should. I think that is the best design choice the movie made. Yeah, to for sure. not not give the characters like human looking eyes or, uh, you know, really defined shiny three D teeth. The, their facial expressions looking like the peanuts' facial expressions. I think is what makes this movie work visually. Yeah, and it's and it's th- those characters. The, the Peanuts gang are either in that style or completely unrecognizable. Those are the only two options. True. If you make them look like people, they are completely unrecognizable. Uh, agreed, fully. Uh, the only thing that I think they they did uh, a bit of a, a, a bit of a dodgy job with is the the hair is very realistic. It's not noticeable, I would say, on most of the characters, but on Charlie Brown, who is a bald child with one weird curly hair on his forehead, 
it having like color and volume <laughs> is almost disconcerting. Charlie Whip yeah. Brown wears a hat for a lot of the movie, and I'm glad because his hair is definitely the weirdest looking of the bunch. Yeah, but in the opening sequence, you can notice it, and I first kind of spotted it on Sally because you can really notice it on like Sally and Schroeder and the blonde characters because you can see the individual hairs. Like on on Lucy, Lucy looks great actually. Uh, but, but yeah, the, the hair, a little bit dodgy. Woodstock has feathers, which I don't care for. Uh Other than that, a actually fine job with the character designs. I I really like those. And there are actually little bits of like, uh, imagination sequences, like where you'll see Charlie Brown, he'll be thinking about something and he has a thought bubble and the thought bubble is in like the Charles Schultz style. It's in the 2D. Very good. It's in the 2D Charles Schultz drawing style, and it's in black and white. Yeah. So it looks like a black and white daily peanut strip, and it's really well done. That That's some of my favorite animation in the movie. The That stuff looks great. It looks like a Charles Schultz drawing, mm-hmm. full stop. For sure, yeah. Uh, another thing I really like about the movie, another high point, I think, is that it is Peanuts. They pretty much nailed the tone of Peanuts, except for the sort of uplifting moment at the end and some Snoopy stuff that we'll get to in low points. It is the plot of Peanuts, or the the tone of Peanuts, exactly. Like, they do one of the football strip gags basically for verbatim as a mid-credits scene. It's wild to think about Peanuts having a mid-credits scene. <laughs> it has two. Yeah. Like that, like like Kathy's gonna show up and be like, "I'm starting something up." You in? <laughs> I'm calling it the Sunday Funnies. <laughs> and Charlie Brown's like, "Good grief!" And she's like, "Ack." <laughs> and then uh, the kid from Family Circus runs by with a trail behind him. In the trailer, like the last minute of the trailer is, "Who could have done this?" And then it cuts to Jeffy, and he's like, you know, in the chair, and he's like, not me. <laughs> We're about to face down a menace. <laughs> it's, it's called The Menace. Yeah. yeah. That's, all it's, that's what it's called. Hey, um, Hollywood. <laughs> Holla at you boys. We got a good idea for this one. I, I, Dagwood could be the team chef. So there's a lot we could do with this. There's a whole lot we could do. King Feature Syndicate, get get at us. We're ready to make the King King slash United Feature Syndicate cinematic universe. In 2022, you will hate Mondays. <laughs> this summer, get ready to lock horns. <laughs> Hey, those I don't like the Lockhorns. Those it's awful. <laughs> it Matt. is the those worst comic strip. Fucking miserable. They well, here's a comic strip about two people who hate each other. <laughs> yeah. Hey, isn't it funny how much this guy hates his wife? <laughs> what? That might be the most th- uh, old-fashioned thing on the comics page. There is still a comics on the comics page called Gasoline Alley. <laughs> and the Lockhorns is the most old-fashioned thing. 
Um, another big high point of the Peanuts movie, The Voices. I was blown away by how much Linus sounded like Linus. Yeah, Linus really sounds like Linus. Like, every voice is pretty perfectly cast. Like, I don't have a voice in my head necessarily for Lucy, say, but Mm -hmm. she sounded like Lucy to me. Oh, for sure. Like, Linus is the one who sounds exactly like Linus. Like, like, down to, like, his, his like, it's not really, like, a, a speech impediment, but he, he has, you know, there are certain letters Linus says a little odd. Like a slight lisp, I think, he might have. Yeah. But, but like, it's there. It's there. Like, it is exactly the way Linus sounds. I wanted him to read uh, from the Book of Luke. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure different kids did Linus's voice over the years. But we all think about Linus from the the Christmas special. And this kid sounds like that. I don't know if he's doing kind of an impression or that's just the kid's voice, but it is spot on. It is right on the money. Yeah. It's so good. And all the other voice acting in the movie is pretty perfectly on point, too. I mean, perhaps it is a bit morbid to use Bill Melendez as the Snoopy and Woodstock sounds, but they wouldn't sound right otherwise. Yeah, they wouldn't. They wouldn't sound like who they are, and they do sound right in this movie. Agreed. I think we only have a couple of low points, Chris. Uh, what do we got? Do you want to? Do you want to say your big one? Because it's because it is the big one of the film. The big low point, and the thing that makes it mo- feel the most like a 2015 animated movie, because. Generally, this movie feels pretty timeless. In fact, it feels old-fashioned in some ways. And I wouldn't say that's a low point per se, but it is a thing about this movie. There are corded phones. Snoopy types on a typewriter. It does the peanut stuff. So when like a modern 2015 pop song is used for the sequence where Charlie Brown is learning to dance, it feels so madly out of place and wrong. Yeah. It's, it's so, it breaks it. It like, it breaks the universe of the film. And, and the also, also the songs aren't good. Like that is another, like they're very much the, the, like the like, you could have replaced this with the Shakira song from Zootopia, and no one would know. So, I'm going to read you a paragraph from the music section of the Wikipedia page about the Peanuts movie, Chris. Uh, please do, man. On July 28th, 2015, it was announced that Megan Trainer, remember her? Uh, what was what was what was hers? Uh, it was she was all about that bass. You left to move in. That was her, right? That was also her. She was yeah. uh, most famously. She was all about that base. Yeah. When I think of Megan Trainer, I think about the click hole headline. I'm the person you have to know now, <laughs> or I'm the new person you have to know now. By Megan Trainer. Brutal. Yeah. Absolutely brutal. <laughs> Jeepers uh, Christmas. What What did she ever do to you, the Onion? <laughs> 
Anyway, on July 28th, 2015, it was announced that Megan Trainer would write and perform a song for the film entitled Better When I'm Dancing. That's the song that plays when Charlie Brown is learning how to dance. Epic Records released the soundtrack album on October 23rd, 2015. The 20-track album features Trainer's Better When I'm Dancing, Flo Rida's That's What I Like, featuring Fitz, Linus and Lucy skating, and Christmas Time is Here by Vince Guaraldi. What a weird assemblage of things. Yeah, man. Like, like Peanuts sounds like one thing. Peanuts sounds yeah. like a jazz trio from 1966. <laughs> yes, that's what it should sound like. And so yeah. adding in Megan Trainer and Flo Rida, like, there is nothing more like bald-faced 20th century Fox animation than that. Than adding in yeah. these, like, modern pop songs it's i like i get that that's what you have to do to release a, mo- a animated movie in the 2010s it's part of it but it is it is the most like not peanuts thing in the movie by a long shot uh what else what else we have like i mean that's that's the big one um i would say the ending is also not my fave uh, it's not because- peanuts i mean it's it's it is what it is <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 kind of like uh, like oh, this is how this Peanuts movie is ending. It's more animated movie for children than Peanuts, and yeah. for the large runtime of the movie up to that point, it was more Peanuts than movie for children. To the point where it had corded phones. Like, what yeah. child has seen a corded phone? But the 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 way that it all resolves of like Charlie Brown won this one, like that's not. I mean, it's hard to say that that's not what it should be, right? Because, like, I feel like kids would be sad if he didn't win, but also he doesn't win. <laughs> like, that's well, the it's, thing. It's a small, even here, it's a small victory, at the very least. It's not like the little red-haired girl says, I'm your girlfriend, and kisses him. She says, I'll write to you from Camp Pen Pal. And the bus drives away. <laughs> I don't know. That might even be too much. Perhaps so. Uh, my other low point is there are a few moments where Snoopy feels more like an animated 2010s children's movie character than Snoopy. Like where he just kind of does like, I don't know, things that are a little too like self-aware or like i mean look snoopy is a self-aware character snoopy writes novels about the red baron and uh is joe cool and all of that stuff so there's definitely snoopy stuff in here that feels like snoopy but there are just moments where like it's a little he's a little more uh scrat than snoopy let's say yeah the first thing he does is like like not Charlie Brown over with a baseball, like like you know in the middle he knocks all Charlie Brown's clothes off in the middle of winter, and maybe it's because I'm old because Matt I'm old, as you know, as am I, as are you, but like the first thought I had when I saw that was kind of mean. Yeah, and Snoopy never really in the comics never really comes across as mean. Yeah. He never comes off as mean. Like, like obviously, he uh, takes joy in Charlie Brown's suffering because, as do we all. <laughs> but, 
But yeah, like it, it seemed a little mean. Also, I was worried for this entire movie that Snoopy was going to start flossing. <laughs> uh, the only reason that I stopped being worried about that is that Matt, you reminded me that, uh, that this movie came out in 2015. Flossing wasn't the all consuming thing that it would become until 2017. Uh, if this was a post Fortnite movie, again, I would be terrified. But then I had to be terrified that Snoopy was going to hit the dab or start twerking. Dab would actually be great because uh, we have come far enough away that, that dabbing is hilarious again. Yes, he does neither of those. Yeah, He, he never goes that far. There are just some, some moments where it feels like he's more... <sighs> He, there's more of like a, a twist toward, hey, let's make him do a thing that kids will like instead of let's do a thing that's true to Snoopy, the the dog comic strip character. Yeah. And, and by the way, in case – we didn't really mention it in High Points, but just, just so we're clear, the Red Baron stuff is good. Like good. The Red Baron stuff rules, actually. It's actually exciting. Yeah, it's really well animated. They like it is presented like it should be presented. Like you never see the red bear; you just see the plane. Uh, Snoopy's doghouse gets shot up with bullets, which is very fun. Like I thought, like that bit was awesome. And I know we're in low points, but we did not mention it in high points. And I do think we need to call that out because it's it's pretty great. So if you, if you need an idea of the quality of this movie, we put a high point in low points. <laughs> Chris, what are our final thoughts about the Peanuts movie? The worst thing I think you can say about this is that I liked it, but I didn't love it. You know? Like, I don't know if I will be going back to this film in the way that I go back to, like, It's Christmas, Charlie Brown. You know? Like, I'm not going to watch this movie every year. I think the most... This is probably damning with faint praise. I think it's kind of the worst and best thing you can say about the movie. It's comfortable. It is. It, it it's it's certainly I mean we kind of, you know, based on the speed with which we blew through the plot, this is probably evident, but like like there's there's not there's nothing wrong with it. And there's, I feel like we after Scoob, this was a, the kind of movie that we needed. There's nothing wrong with it. If there's one thing it does perhaps a little too much, it, I think it it maybe hits the nostalgia button too often. Mm-hmm. Like, you've got kids singing Christmas Time is Here. You've got, you know, tons of Red Baron stuff. You've got mm-hmm. Linus mentioning the Great Pumpkin. You've got all this stuff that seems to be more for us, kids who grew up with Peanuts animated specials, than actual children in 2015 like i i I wonder how kids reacted to this movie because i think there's plenty for them to like in here but there's also plenty in here that i think they would just find like boring or confusing yeah like like for example we just see snoopy writing on a typewriter and it's like what kid knows what a typewriter is yeah. But would it have do you think it would have been weird if Snoopy had like a, a laptop? Yes. Like and, and it wasn't like but it wasn't like, you know, 
Like, he's not flossing. It's just the exact same movie, but Snoopy has a laptop. And, and when they when they call, like, when Charlie Brown calls Peppermint Patty, like, it may, maybe not a cell phone, but, like, a modern phone. It, he, should, he should have it on a brand new Galaxy Note 10 or whatever the newest one is. <laughs> yeah, Snoop, he should have been binging it. <laughs> I will say this. There is zero product placement in this, and that is what a delight that is. Yeah. Um, apparently, the Scholes family fought tooth and nail to make this as authentically peanuts as they could. Um, Charles Scholes they, uh, they didn't get MetLife in this. That's true. That is that is the one uh, peanuts uh, endorsement that I can think of. Uh, this here's a, a a note from an article from the Wrap. Uh, <clears throat> Although the Peanuts movie has been described as a success and Fox was reportedly interested in making a sequel, Fox only had the rights to make one Peanuts film. Scholz's widow, Jean, has indicated that a sequel is not imminent, stating, this one took eight years, so maybe we'll talk again then. (laughs) So I'm thinking that the family probably did a lot of fighting to make sure that this was an authentic, true-to-the-source Peanuts movie. And I am sure that Fox and Blue Sky and the suits who were financing this movie really wanted to put in like smartphones and laptops mm-hmm. and make it modern and have not even any of the Vince Guaraldi music, make it all modern music and and blah, blah, blah. All this stuff that would make it a more modern, appealing to kids movie and less Peanuts. And I admire the movie for being so peanuts. Like, for me, a 37-year-old man who loves the Peanuts comic strip, this is the movie I wanted. I I do question whether it was the movie children wanted. Yeah, it's... I don't remember, but it's hard to imagine this movie having, like, a Pizza Hut tie-in. Like, did it? Like, what was the, like, do you remember any of the marketing for this? What was the marketing like? I feel like the marketing was pretty limited, and that's why it sort of felt like it came and went really fast. Uh, It, I don't remember it having any marketing tie-in stuff Mm -hmm. at all. Yeah. And, like, I, I definitely think that would have been bad. I don't even understand why Snoopy sold insurance. For so long, that is that was a weird, a weird thing. I guess MetLife did run promotions for the movie when that happened. There were MetLife tie-ins still when this movie came out, which again, all the things life insurance for this children's movie. Yeah, like it's it's weirdly appropriate, but not. (laughs) <laughs> like it's so weird but it's like well what else is Charlie Brown going to sell he's got to sell if Charlie Brown can sell you anything it's planning for after you're dead okay I actually have found a blog post that goes into great detail about the marketing for the Peanuts movie okay it is a a, a blog post on Chris I don't know if it's Tilk or Thilk but it's 
Chris Thilk's uh, blog. Chris Thilk is a freelance writer who I think writes a lot about movies. And they have a list of all the marketing tie-ins for the Peanuts movie. Okay. So here we go. Horizon Organic, which had co-branded packaging and marketing materials. Uh, Nestle Crunch had a sweepstakes offering a trip to Blue Sky's New York headquarters. I feel like I vaguely remember Peanuts stuff on Nestle Crunch. Okay. Target had co-branded TV spots that featured the film's characters holding voice auditions and offering their opinions. That that makes sense. Because, again, Target headquartered in Minneapolis, Charles Scholes, a, a, from St. Paul. Famous so. dog mascot. Famous dog mascot. UNICEF had a campaign encouraging kids and their parents to get involved and help kids in need of food, school supplies, and more. That's nice. Yeah, that's that's certainly not the marketing cash-in that we were afraid of. All, the laundry detergent, offered a coupon mm-hmm. for a movie ticket if you buy $10 or more of detergent. McDonald's had movie-themed toys in their Happy Meals. Uh, MetLife ran promotions for the movie, which isn't surprising since the company has used Peanuts characters. I'm, I'm going to save this one for the end. This one's big for us. Okay. Red, Red Baron had co-branded packaging. That's fun. That's fun. That's fun. I get that, yeah. Tyson had co-branded packaging. Scotch-Brite had co-branded packaging. And the movie... Apparently got a lot of attention for an ad buy on movietickets.com because of huge video ads in the background of the site. Here's the one I skipped over, Chris. Hit me. Little Debbie. (gasps) That's a big one for us. Brings us to an important point. Hey, Little Debbie, why haven't you said Black Lives Matter? Yeah, hey, Little Debbie? It's quite literally the least you can do. Like, could you do that, please? Could you just, yeah, like, like, it's not, like, like just do it, Little Debbie. Like, honestly, Little Debbie, just do it. Could you just do it, please? It's, it's the, it's, like, it's, it would be nice if you did more, but can you just do the performative thing? Like, donate some money. That would be do- great, Definitely too. donate some money. Does not seem that they've said anything on Twitter. Come on, little Debbie. Let's just do this, please. Yeah, little Debbie. What are you doing? You sponsored the Peanuts movie. Now, give your voice to the best possible cause you can and say Black Lives Matter. Just do it. We're going to be back in September with another movie. I think we know what it's going to be, but we don't want to give it away right now. Yeah, I think we know what it's going to be. I think we know what it's going to be, man. If you like the show and you want to help us out, uh, you can head over to patreon.com slash Ajax and kick in as little as a dollar a month to help fund this show and Snack Situation and our other show, uh, War Rocket Ajax. Uh, That would help us out a bunch. Uh, If you would like to get in touch with us, you can email us at moviefighterscast at gmail.com or... Uh, hit us up on Tumblr at moviefighterscast.tumblr.com. See you next month, everybody. Uh, 
I think we can recommend the Peanuts movie. So if you have Disney Plus, go give it a watch. It's fun. It's enjoyable. It's comfortable. Comfortable is the word. Bye, everybody. Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter, everybody. Trans rights. Say it, little Debbie. When when do we when do we start telling people go bother little Debbie on Twitter? Right now, go do it. Everybody, go bother little. Go Debbie. do it. It's time. Bye, everybody. We love you. This has been a Kaleidos Media production.